There's a lot of technology out there to help lawyers be more efficient, but many lawyers are missing the boat. If the law practice is well-managed, technology should be putting money into the firm's pocket rather than taking it out. There are not many businesses on this planet who see time spent as equaling quality or value. And unfortunately, lawyers think that the more time I spent on this file, the more value I'm giving to the client. And that is absolutely false. I'm Stephanie Francis-Ward, and when we return, guests tell me how lawyers can use technology to save clients and themselves money. This ABA Journal podcast is brought to you by Westlaw Next. Folder sharing on Westlaw Next enables you to tap into previous research across organizational boundaries like never before, saving you time from reinventing the wheel. Learn more at westlawnext.com. So for you guys, what technology do you think has had the biggest impact on saving clients money? My view is that it really depends on the type of practice and the size of the firm. I'm not sure that we could give, and this might be the hesitation of giving an answer, and I don't blame her, um, is that it really varies a lot from practice setting to practice setting, both in terms of the type of practice and the size of the law firm. For smaller firms, my sense is that uh, the kind of technology that's really being uh, transformative are things like online law practice management tools, automated document assembly, cloud computing, software as a service, those are some of the obvious ones. Um, in my view, some of the less obvious um, uh, transformative technologies are the ones that lawyers use every day, things like Word and Outlook uh, and Excel. And my sense is that lawyers just don't know how to use that technology very well and that that technology actually could be used very effectively to bring down the cost of legal, legal services and save clients money if lawyers just knew how to use those basic technologies more efficiently. So I, I think there are lots of possible answers to that question, and those are just a few ideas for what it's worth. I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, the technological of skill of lawyers with just the software that's available now is is atrocious. Um, and, and, and I think you're right in terms of where uh, different practices are going to have different things, and, and I'm not sure – what more I could add to that other than to say that things coming down the line, which will have a, a bigger impact or, or just as big an impact, are going to be things like um, risk analysis software and predictive uh, capability software and logarithms that are going to really shrink down the amount of time that lawyers need to uh, review case law or think about uh, fact situations. They're going to be able to send out a probability fairly quickly and will allow um, clients to make decisions much faster, uh, or just online document assembly software. I mean, we've seen LegalZoom um, be very, very successful in that market, in the sort of the retail day-to-day -day market with the do-it-yourselfers out there. So I think those things um, also have a pretty big impact on client savings. From the solo and small firm perspective, I do agree that even the learning more about the basic software that pretty much every solo and small firm has, like word processing and, and, the, and email calendaring programs, um, can really do a lot to make a solo and small firm more efficient. Other things that are coming from outside, like electronic filing, really uh, also contribute. Carolyn Elephant has a great new post on my shingle about how, how she can – she could do a filing in two hours that used to take her the better part of a day. Uh, and so it really demonstrates uh, that, that really very basic, not all the bells and whistles stuff, but really basic technological advances can really make 
huge productivity gains. Well, and I think that comes back to something that I am very curious about. We're talking about that ability to save clients money and do a job in two hours. It used to take you a day. What does that mean for the money lawyers are making? I mean, I think that there is a sense that they can't, you can't, if you bill by the hour, and I don't know who does that anymore, but if you do, then your money's going to go down. But on the other hand, are there ways that you can use this to make yourself more efficient and do more work for more clients? Well, sure. I've, I've had the, I've had the, the same experience. Um, if you are still billing hourly, yes, that, that this is one of the reasons, I think, why the people who attack hourly billing, uh, you know, have uh, ex- expressed that there is a, a disconnect between the um, interests of the client and the interests of the lawyer. So if, if it takes you less time, then you can either adjust your rate, or you can bill uh, using a, an alter- alternative fee structure, um, or you can use that extra time for marketing. The, the bottom line is that um, you're, doing, you're doing better for your client because even if you end up charging a flat rate, that might be equivalent to what you would charge if you were billing hourly for a longer amount of time, you'll still be able to get the client their results quicker. And so it's still benefiting the client. Yeah, I agree with Lisa. I I think that uh, technology can make lawyers more money. First of all, if you're charging a flat rate, uh, the more efficient you are and the faster you can produce whatever it is that you're doing, a particular document, working on a, a particular project for litigation, the faster you can do that, if it's a flat fee, uh, the more money you make and the lower you uh, lower the amount that you can charge for that service, and so therefore more clients are, are on your plate or, or potential clients uh, will be attracted to you. If you're charging by the by the hour, as I think many lawyers still do, as most lawyers still do, um, you know, I think part of the problem here is that the billable hours created a, a bit of a disincentive to learn some of these new technologies because as long as you are uh, billing by the hour, you don't have an enormous incentive to be as efficient as possible. And we're finally seeing some pushback from many clients, and I think uh, that technology will be the answer that many law firms are looking for in terms of bringing down uh, the, those hourly costs and yet still making the kind of profit that many firms are accustomed to. So I, I think technology is an answer to many of these questions. Right. I think it illustrates a huge disconnect between how lawyers work and how the rest of the world works. There are not many businesses on this planet who see time spent as equaling quality or value. And unfortunately, lawyers think that the more time I spent on this file, the more value I'm giving to the client. And that is absolutely false. And so what technology exposes is the fact that clients are not looking for you to spend your life on a file. They're looking for a result from that file. And they're willing to pay for that result. They're willing to pay for the perceived value from that result. So, you know, we have to disconnect ourselves from from this concept that, you know, my time is valuable to the client. It's not. It's the result. And so if I can spend less time and get the same result, my client's going to pay me for that value that I'm providing for them. So it is always better for me as a lawyer to be spending less time to get the same result. I think technology helps us on that, and I don't see technology as taking money out of the lawyer's pocket at all. It gets us to think differently and provide value at a price and still make money. And it also forces us to rethink our entire business model because 
we there's far too much fat in the law firm. We're not very lean machines in terms of business structure and how we operate. And the more technology and the more we use it correctly in a better way, it allows us to lean down firms um, to get to a point where we really should be, and, and that will allow us to, to make the profits that people are looking for. Let's talk a bit about some of the knowledge management uh, software that's out there. I'm thinking of what's available for help you preparing for a DEP and going through evidence and how quickly and efficiently some of those uh, programs can work. Do you see in the near future the costs of that coming down so a solo could afford? To, I mean, my understanding right now is this pricing is such that it's really really only an option for corporate large firms or boutique firms. Do, do you see the costs coming down so that a solo could take on like a huge class action and not have to worry as much about the evidence? Well, I, my view is that, you know, technology is pretty uniform in this regard that uh, as time moves on, all technology becomes cheaper. Um, and so I don't think knowledge management is, is going to be an outlier in that regard. I think that uh, it will be increasingly available to firms of all sizes. So I think it's just a matter of time. It's my view. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, technology typically always comes down you know, year over year over year. Um, and so really technology and the internet is the great equalizer among law firms and allows smaller firms to punch way above their weight. Let's switch a bit. I know that when I go to the tech shows, cloud computing seems to be very popular with the vendors right now, and I've been curious. Um, to have a, a good system, do you need to pay for one of these offerings of cloud computing, or can you get everything that they're offering on Google? I, th I think you have to pay for the proper service that's, you know, reasonable for your firm. Um, the issue with cloud computing really is making sure that you've done your due diligence on the cloud provider um, to ensure that you can comply with your ethical obligations as a lawyer. And um, whether that's Google, whether it's Amazon, whether it's, you know, one of the other providers, um, that's for the lawyer to, to be comfortable with. Um, I think we don't have an absolute obligation to make sure that everything is absolutely impenetrable uh, in terms of being hacked. I mean, law firms are getting hacked every day just by having their systems in their offices. So it's uh, uh, we don't have an absolute ethical obligation to make sure that everything is absolutely perfectly confidential. Um, we just have to do our best to ensure that we've uh, selected the right provider, and I don't think, actually, that they are terribly um, overpriced. Well, do you have a sense of, if just for writing documents, maybe sharing documents with a client, for what's available that is free, do you think the security is enough for the attorney? I think the free products are getting a lot better than they used to be. A, a Dropbox had a variety of issues, and they've come out with new products. I think the newest is called Safebox that allows for a greater protection and encryption. And, uh, and I, so I think there are ways of sharing documents now uh, that are free uh, and that offer enough protection. And, but it's up to the lawyer to make sure that he or she is using those protections, making sure that it's encrypted, using two-factor authentication, uh, and using appropriate passwords. I think if lawyers take appropriate precautions, there are certain free services for sharing documents and collaborating online that can be very effective, but uh, lawyers just need to be very careful in terms of the provider they select and the security um, protocols they put into place. 
Um, and with technology now and outsourcing doing a lot of the tasks that were previously done by young lawyers, like document review, how can young lawyers or law students adapt to that? I mean, maybe they didn't want to do document review in the first place, but I mean, you know, that, that was a job at one point. How can one adapt to, to build your career and be successful? I think that law students today really need a lot more than the standard curriculum that most law schools provide. Uh, you know, just putting a lot of legal doctrines in your head is really not going to be enough to compete in this marketplace. That what uh, new lawyers really need to uh, be able to know about and do uh, is, is understand all of the new types of law practice management tools, some of the things that we've already been talking about, knowledge management, cloud computing, uh, electronic discovery and how to use existing tools like Word, Excel, and Outlook uh, effectively. Uh, and they also need to understand a lot of concepts from the business world, like project management. Um, uh, and that way, so if they're not hired uh, to do some of the traditional law firm work like document review, they can offer a lot of new kinds of services, both to existing law firms that are out there, small and medium-sized firms that are really looking to innovate and take advantage of these new technologies, um, but also so that they're competitive in the range of new jobs that are out there, working for an electronic discovery company or taking a job with an automated document assembly company. I think lawyers today and law students today need to think outside the box and start delivering and understanding new ways of delivering legal services. So I, I think that's what young lawyers need to be doing is really thinking outside the box in terms of the skills they need to acquire and the knowledge they need to have. In terms of what's available with the technology or the people sometimes for outsourcing, do you all see uh, this stain with third-party vendors, or do you see law firms maybe buying or setting up some of these businesses so they can have the profits for themselves as opposed to part of what they previously would build out at going to someone else? Yeah, I think we're seeing that in electronic discovery. Uh, a lot of electronic discovery companies were formed and providing those services to law firms, and now you're seeing law firms getting into that game and having their own uh, electronic discovery uh, outfit either in, inside their firms or setting up ancillary businesses to provide those kinds of services. So, yeah, I, I think we are seeing that to some extent. Yeah, on the LPO front, I think uh, <laughs> I haven't seen any law firms set up their own LPO, um, but they have been starting to form uh, alliances, strategic alliances with them because we're seeing, especially um, on the client side with banks, specifically asking law firms on the RFPs, what is your LPO uh, capacity? Who do you have that can manage the services that you are just too expensive and inefficient to deal with? So they're, they're being forced on the law firm side to find these alliances with providers who can you know, do the work that clients are just refusing to pay for. What are some tasks that you think for lawyers will never be able to be outsourced? Um, I think <clears throat> the more complex things, the things that you, the things that you go to law school for now. Uh, I mean, nobody goes to law school now to fill out forms. Nobody goes to law school to to review documents, as we've said. Nobody goes to law school to you know uh, write a bunch of briefs. Uh, you know on very generic, similar briefs day after day after day. People go to law school to use their brains and, and think of uh, creative solutions to complex questions. That's the kind of stuff that, was, that, will also, that will always stay onshore, that will always stay in a lawyer's office. The question is, how do you separate the process of law 
from the real legal thinking of law. And, and everything below the really true legal thinking stuff can be done either by technology or by outsourcing. Uh, yeah, I, I tend to agree. I, I think that uh, the, the legal skills that we've historically taught are still valuable and that will still be prized in the marketplace. But, you know, even that can be outsourced, but in a very different sense. You know, there are some law firms that maybe don't have the in-house expertise to do very sophisticated legal work. They can reach out to other law firms to assist them on those kinds of efforts, and that is a kind of outsourcing. So, I mean, even even those kinds of high-level thinking can be outsourced. We don't think of it that way. We think about kind of coordinating with another law firm, but it is outsourcing in, in some regard. So it seems to me that just about everything that we think that lawyers do can be outsourced either to other lawyers or to non-lawyers um, to ensure that it is done more effectively and efficiently. Uh, I think that what's going to be core is the client relationship um, and counseling aspect, um, as well as the high-level analysis. We're, well, we're sorry. Where we're going with this conversation really is lawyer as as quarterback or water uh, lawyer as a project manager and figuring out what each client problem needs to be resolved, and then looking at all the pieces available to her and saying, okay, this particular question needs this kind of skill set and these kinds of uh, um, expertise or this kind of uh, process, and how do I go out and find it? I don't have to do everything myself. I just have to manage the entire solution for the client. And I think that's really, you know, that ties into everything that we've just been talking about is the lawyer as the solution finder and being able to put all the pieces together rather than seeing herself or himself as I got to figure everything out myself and I got to do everything myself. And then uh, because you know, everyone's counting on me. They have to be able to let go and, and, and put the pieces together. I would say don't be afraid to be efficient. Um, efficiency is not going to undercut you. You and your clients will benefit uh, in the end. And efficiency does have a lot to do with what the other panelists have just said, learning to use both basic uh, uh, software and applications that are available. Um, managers do need to know they don't may not necessarily need to know uh, the, the minutia, but they need to know the capabilities um, so that they know how efficient um, the people who are working for them really can be. So it's not just the people who are actually implementing. Um, it is at all levels. I, I love that comment. <laughs> don't be afraid to be efficient. Uh, I, I guess – all I would add, and, and I guess I'm duplicating a bit, um, is is the fact that the lower your cost, the more money you keep, and that ties into efficiency. That talks ties into being able to use your technology better. Um, if you now have the ability more than ever before to have the leanest law firm on the planet and still make a pretty good living, and so I think that should be the goal of lawyers today is to lean your operations down and make it as efficient as possible uh, because that lowers your costs and if you lower your costs you know your profit margins go up so that's just basic business 101 and uh, I, I guess that's another good reason why business courses should be part of law school 
Okay. And on that note, that's everything I have uh, for you all. Thank you so much for joining me today. This ABA Journal podcast is brought to you by Westlaw Next, powered by WestSearch, the world's most advanced legal search engine delivering the best results in seconds. Learn more at westlawnext.com.